0: I wanna talk about some things today that may be uh, a little bit disturbing to some people, so I wanna give you a warning for that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll do talk about these things very, with a very sensitive nature and a sensitive spirit, I do believe. Uh, back in 1981, I was pastoring a deaf congregation and a lady asked me if I'd go see her son who is in the University of Arkansas Medical Center She was terribly concerned. He had a disease, a mysterious one, and he was not expected to survive it. And then she said, Philip, he's gay. I saw him. I spoke to him. He spoke back. We visited, and when I was preparing to leave, I bent down and put my arms around his shoulders, and it was just like a thin sheet draped over his bones. He reached up with the little strength that he had and put his arms around my shoulders and we hugged. He died a few weeks later. And the mysterious disease that he had was something I never heard of before, AIDS. Two years later, preachers were saying things like, AIDS is not just God's punishment for homosexuals, it is God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. Even Billy Graham, is AIDS a judgment of God? I cannot say for sure, but I think so. Billy Graham later retracted that statement. And while he could retract his words, he could not retract the hurt that his words caused. Well, in the 1970s, Day County, Florida, passed an ordinance that granted gay people housing and employment protections. And that meant that public school teachers could not be fired because of their sexuality. So Florida classrooms became a battleground in the 70s. Parents who opposed that ordinance said that it infringed upon their rights as parents. So action had to be taken. And a campaign to limit the rights of our LGBTQ siblings in order to protect the children was launched. A woman who spoke at this hearing said it was her right to control she said, "The moral atmosphere in which my children grow up. Those of you who were around in the '70s will remember this lady, the orange juice lady, yeah. Anita Bryant. She was a former Miss America and a top 40 artist on the in, in the singing world, and uh, the Florida orange juice spokesperson. And she was an outspoken person against." LGBTQ she was a leader in this movement and the ordinance that had been passed was repealed a half century later we see Florida and other state legislatures using the very same playbook limiting the rights of LGBTQ all under the guise of protecting our children things haven't changed much have they Well, these statements by Jerry Falwell and Billy Graham at the time reflected the sentiments of people in the church world to which I belonged. Today, I speak to you as a person who inherited the conventional conservative view of homosexuality. And that view was this. It's a choice. It's a sin and it can be changed but today is my position that it is not a choice it is not a sin it cannot be changed nor does it need to be changed so the question the question that i'm often asked is how do you explain the 180 how do you explain the about face Well, as the title of our teaching today says, How Love Changed My Worldview About Gender and Sexuality. The essence of my message this morning is this. I came to know and love LGBTQ plus individuals and learned about their plight as closeted, wounded, exiled, wonderful people who love Jesus despite the church that has not loved them. That's my message. And this is how that message developed. In the early months of 2008 at another church, Denise and I began a listening tour of any LGBTQ plus person who would sit down with the pastor and that pastor's wife and tell their stories we discovered there were dozens and dozens of people who were ready to tell their stories to a pastor and his wife who would not preach, but who would actually listen. So Denise and I did that. And we discovered and listened to stories of rejection and hurt, of stories of people who had tried to pray the gay away. Stories of individuals coming down to an altar and crying that God would take away this desire that they had. Matthew 8 tells a story of Jesus healing a man with leprosy. After Jesus came down from the mountain, loud, large crowds followed him. And a leper approached and bowed low before him saying, Lord... If you are willing, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. One person told us, I cannot count the times that I have prayed, Lord, if you're willing, take away this desire that I have for same sex. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me straight. We heard stories of people who went through exorcisms, of having people gather around them and try to cast out the demon of homosexuality. One guy came out to his sister who then told their youth pastor. A guy showed up at church on the next Sunday. The youth pastor called him to his office and said that he had heard the news. And no longer then was this young man allowed to sing on the worship team, nor was he allowed to work in the children's ministry. We heard time and time from individuals who were sitting in a congregation on a Sunday morning, only be told by the pastor as if he were speaking for God that being gay was a sin. And it was a sure path to hell. Don't pass go, don't collect $200, just straight to hell. This entire community, I was, gosh, how old was I in 2008, niece? So young. (laughs) That means you were younger. But I was too old not to have known better. This community, entire community of people had been unknown to me. And now I look at some of you, and there were around me at that time, and you're my sisters and brothers. My own change of mind on this topic is impossible to understand without you knowing them without you knowing those stories that they told. Their stories chipped away, the structure of my belief system. My belief had been based on Romans chapter one where Paul writes that about a people who because of their idolatry had been given up to their desires It had been the teaching of my church. see, I forgot my T. It had been the teaching of the church I had attended and my teaching as a pastor. Thank you. That these people whom God gave up for their desires were gay and that the reason God gave them up, according to Paul, was that they were idolaters. But after six to nine months, almost a year of listening to these stories, I didn't meet any idolaters, not one. I I met people who loved God, who wanted to follow Jesus, who wanted to be in a community of believers, of people who were seeking the Lord, but who would not let them in. Time and time again. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just ten. It was dozens of people who loved the Lord and pursued God even more than I, a straight guy. Yet we shut them out. And that said to me, well, gosh. I totally missed what Paul is saying. I didn't say, Paul, you screwed it up. You don't know what you're talking about. I said, somehow I have misunderstood what Paul wrote. I tried to give Paul, tried to give Scripture every benefit of the doubt. It's not Scripture's fault, it's my interpretation that is the problem. And I still believe that today. But I said, I felt Jesus looking at me and telling me what he told the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you experts in the law, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You keep locking people out of the kingdom of heaven for you neither enter nor permit those trying to go in. I was keeping people out of the church. Oh, but Jesus wasn't. It's hard to read this, I can see, but in the top block, there is a sheep telling another sheep, who's a gay sheep, sorry, but you're just not welcome here. The bottom block, the sheep is asking his other friends, hey, where'd Jesus go? And I just wonder if when I kept gay people out of the church, if I was keeping Jesus out of the church too. Thing is, love changed my views. Love changed my mind. And that was in two thousand and eight, and I got a lot of pushback. And most of those pushbacks are under one of three categories. The first pushback was this. But the Bible clearly says. Well, I don't have time today to talk with you about all the six passages that speak to some kind of same-sex relationships or behavior, only to say that after spending time with my newfound LGBTQ friends and siblings, I started an in-depth study of those six passages, 2008, that led to a declaration that I made in 2014 that I was fully affirming and ready to marry whoever wanted to get married of the same-sex individuals. And after studying those passages for that many years, and I'm still studying them, I have to ask you what I ask myself. What if those verses, only six passages in all the Scripture, that address things like excess lust, gang rape, uh, sex with slaves, older men having sex with young boys, all non-consensual, temple prostitutes and idol worship. What if those six passages have nothing to do with same-sex relationships that are based on love between two people in mutuality and in commitment? Two willing partners. What if those verses were all about power and not about equality? What if a devastating distortion of Scripture, of interpretation of Scripture has occurred and you can't see it? I didn't see it. What if we've been distorting our interpretations? all these years, and we just never saw it. I said before that scripture I see is a trajectory from oppression to liberation, from exclusion to inclusion. I wanna give you an example of that today. I don't know if you ever heard a sermon on eunuchs or not, but I'm gonna give you a little sermon on being castrated. (laughs) Basically, that's what a eunuch is, a castrated male. In the first century uh, CE in the common era in which Jesus lived, there was a, a, a Greek philosopher who was also uh, a Hebrew-Greek, a slash Hebrew-Greek philosopher named Pliny, and this is what he said about eunuchs. He is neither male nor female. This is the first century, Okay. He's neither male nor female, for he is incapable of either giving or receiving seed. Mark how conspicuously they braid and adorn their hair, and how they scrub and paint their faces with cosmetics and pigments and the like. In fact, the transformation of the male nature to the female is practiced by them as an art and does not raise a blush. The eunuch according to this philosopher, is a non-binary person. The eunuch occupies a third gender that does not neatly fit into the category of male or female. And this eunuch was outside the system of reproduction in the Jewish world. I mean, procreation and... A couple reproducing was key to the Jewish world because if you didn't have babies, then you could not uh, continue your, your legacy. And a person who wasn't able to have children, who didn't have children, was considered to be cursed by God. Eunuchs were neither male nor female. They could not have children. They didn't get much love. They didn't get much respect and we read in the law that's called the law of Moses in Deuteronomy the fifth book in the Hebrew scripture a man with crushed or severed genitals may not enter the assembly of the Lord will you raise your hand if you've ever heard that read at a church service before and so it just described the entire population of eunuchs who were not allowed to either be in church or just be in the society of other Israelites at all. They were just kicked out of society. That was pretty exclusive. That was pretty restrictive, wasn't it? They were neither male nor female. They just did not fit in to society. Now, fast forward A few hundred years the people of Israel have come back from exile we've talked about them being in exile in Babylon there was another that's the people of Judah the people of Israel were in exile in Persia and these are the Israelites and they had come back from exile in Persia they came back to their land and the eunuchs found themselves in the middle of a system that tried to legislate them out of existence. And that's the very language that we're hearing today. Groups of people trying to legislate LGBTQ plus people, especially transgender, out of existence. The same thing happened to these Israelites over a 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago. Now, to that group of people, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. I want you to hear this. Hear what God is saying to these people who were neither male nor female. It was a third category. Who were absolutely rejected and kicked out of 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 the society. Through the prophet, this is what the Lord says. Do what is right. Maintain justice. Do the right thing. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, who keeps their hands from doing any kind of evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, well, the Lord will exclude me from his people All the foreigners who have been set aside and kicked out of the community. All the immigrants who have been pushed out. God said, no longer will you have to say, I'm excluded. God says, now I'm including you. Let no unit complain, I'm only a dry tree. I can't have any children. I'm dying out here. Nobody is around me. Nobody is supporting me. They're draining the life out of me. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you something better than children. You'll walk into the temple, and there'll be plaques in your honor. To our eunuch friends. We honor them in this place. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. The very people who had been excluded are now by God's directive included. Hmm. Now fast forward a few hundred more years to the time after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's a story that we find in the book of Acts, chapter 8, of an African eunuch who was a treasurer of the country of Ethiopia. He was in his chariot going home from Jerusalem. The eunuch is reading from the prophet Isaiah, and the Lord sends an evangelist by the name of Philip to intersect with with the eunuch. And they meet. And the Philip gets into the chariot. What are you reading? I'm reading this book. I don't understand. Well, let's take a look at it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 53 that writes about a man who was humiliated, about who was treated with injustice, who was despised. And I wonder if the eunuch was thinking, well, that's how I feel. Rejected and despised treated unjustly. And so the eunuch said, well, who's this guy writing about? And so Philip then explained that their understanding was they're writing about Jesus. And Philip told the eunuch about Jesus and they were traveling along and the eunuch looked over and there was some water and he said, is there anything, is there any reason why I couldn't be baptized? Philip didn't say, well, you're not male and you're not female. I don't know what the heck you are. And uh, there's really no place for you in this, in the, in this religion that we're, we're involved in. Now you didn't say anything at all. Is there any reason I can't be baptized? No reason whatsoever. So the eunuch ordered the chariot to be stopped He and Philip jumped out, they ran into the water, Philip baptized him, and all of a sudden the Lord took Philip away, and the eunuch was just left there, and he got back in his chariot, and Luke says that he left rejoicing, he was just giddy. He had been baptized, he had been welcomed, he had been accepted. I want you to understand this, that this is... Black Ethiopian eunuch was the first non Jew to be baptized. The first non Jew in the New Testament to be baptized was black and non binary. Did you hear me? Is your mind exploding? The first non Jew in the New Testament was to be baptized black and non binary. But how many critical things are we hearing today from Christians about people who are non binary? I brought with me today something I don't drink because it's not gluten-free. I drink the gluten-free version of it, a Bud Light. <laughs> Kid Rock can blow all the want- Bud Lights that he wants to up, but it's not gonna change the fact that the first non-Jew to be baptized was non-binary. Mm. I might risk a, an attack just to drink one of those. Hmm. Well, Philip, challenged, people challenged me with this statement. Philip, you're putting your experience with all of these gay people that you had over the clear teaching of Scripture. I said, I know it sounds that way, doesn't it? I'm putting my experience over an interpretation of scripture and I'm not the first one to do that Peter did it you can read the story in Acts chapter 10 Peter had this theology that said Jews shall not associate with Gentiles and then he had an experience at the end of the experience that he had First of all, with a vision, a dream, and then with a man named Cornelius. His conclusion of, of that experience after visiting with Cornelius, after having his vision, was I've learned that God does not play favorites, that God is not a respecter of persons. And his experience absolutely blew up the paradigm that he had built based upon Scripture. We've seen that throughout history. People's experience with people changed the ethic that they were following based upon Scripture. For example, after the Holocaust, Christians in large groups after the Holocaust no longer used the Bible to justify their contempt for the Jewish people. After slavery, the horrors of slavery Christians no longer used the Scripture to justify slavery. Look at the oppression of women. Well, they're still being oppressed, especially in churches today. But we see in history, when we have experiences with people, it makes us reinterpret those Scripture verses that we used to justify that discrimination. Our experience with people and our experience with the spirit of love has moved us away from a biblical ethic to an ethic of love. And then I've heard this pushed back so many times. You're just conforming to the culture. You're just conforming to the culture. Well... Yeah, maybe so. I can see how you're saying that. But sometimes the culture is further along than we are. The culture was for the equality of women a long time before the church was. The culture was for the abolishment of slavery a long time before the church was. Oh, I'm really not trying to follow the culture. I'm just trying to understand the mind of Christ and to follow love. The third pushback, Philip, what if you're wrong? And my response to that was, I may be, but what if you're wrong? The church has been wrong before. Just ask Galileo. And what if we're wrong on this? We were wrong on the oppression of women. We were wrong on enslaving human beings. What if we're wrong on this? What if you just simply loved people, no matter who they were? you love gay people, what if you just love trans people? Even if you don't understand, I don't understand astronomy. I don't understand how the earth rotates around the sun. I don't understand that, but I accept it. I don't understand transgenderism. It doesn't mean I reject those individuals. One of my favorite stories is of Jesus healing a man On the Sabbath, there are seven times that Jesus healed people on the Sabbath, recorded in the New Testament. On this particular time, as typical, the Pharisees went ballistic because Jesus broke their interpretation of keep the Sabbath holy. The problem was not the command to keep the Sabbath holy. The problem was the Pharisees just went wildly crazy with their interpretation of it. And I don't believe the problem is the scripture on these six passages. The problem is, I think, our interpretation of those six six scriptures. But in response to what the Pharisees said to Jesus, getting on to him for healing a man on the Sabbath, Jesus said to them, go and learn what this means. God loves mercy more than sacrifice. So what I want us to understand is this. We can trust God. We can trust the God who is loving. And my encouragement to you today, go and learn what that means. To be loving as God has been and is loving today. Cheers.